Ready to live at the higher vibrations, where peace, love, joy, and good health are the daily standard? That's what this show is all about. Welcome to Vibe. And here's your host, Robin Openshaw. Hey there, my friend. Welcome back to the Vibe Show. It's Robin Openshaw, and it's the middle of summer here in Park City. And guess what I'm doing? I'm moving again. I just moved up here a year ago, and I am moving again. Mostly because I thought it'd be really fun and kind of urban to live in a condo. Turns out I don't like living in a condo. I don't like having my master bedroom on the top floor and my office in the basement. In the cold winter, I did not love working in a basement office. So got myself a, uh, a rambler where the office, master bedroom, kitchen, all on the main floor. It has a beautiful view overlooking the golf course. Really excited to have the move over with, but here we are about to move again. But I wanted to just express appreciation for you. If you've been following my show for the last few years or you're brand new to it and you're just binging on episodes, which we hear that a lot, I just want to express to you how much I appreciate you for following my work, for supporting it. One of the very best ways you can support the show is to uh, rate, review, and subscribe. And I just wanted to read a couple of reviews that meant a lot to me. LM4680 said... Robin is who I go to for figuring out life's complexities. Her insights, perspectives, and intelligence have been super helpful, especially when dealing with difficult situations like young adult children. The knowledge she shares on health I can learn from, and I have many resources about how to be a good mom because I really didn't have a healthy role model. It's so invaluable to me. Love the raw, honest vulnerability she brings to her show. So thank you so much, LM4680. One more from Halo Sniper, who says, Robin, your podcast is helping me get through a very challenging time. I've studied vibration for years, but I love the way you take bite-sized topics and take it deeper and relate it to raising our vibration. This is one of the most uplifting programs, and I love listening. You know, Halo Sniper, thank you for that. And it reminds me as I read your story, like it helps me so much when you make a comment about the show. Because then it makes this show very, very real and personal. When I was on a speaking tour, and I'm sure that you may be aware that I did a 450 city speaking tour for six years. And I went out twice a month and I went to, on average, about four cities in a row. Boom, 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 boom. Like Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday morning, Saturday night in a different city in the same like area or state. And because people would stay after and talk to me and I would pretty much for 90 minutes, how people stand in line and I would sign their books and I would talk to them and they would tell me their personal stories. I came to eventually go into every single um, talk that I did feeling very, very humbled. And I would go in a room, I might go in like a bathroom stall if that's all I could find or a closet or whatever. And I would pray and meditate for a few minutes and imagine people on the front row, maybe faces that I had met at the night before his class. And I would um, ask for the courage and the strength and especially the insight to be able to say what was meaningful to the people who drove across town um, to honor me with their presence. And so even though I can't see you when I'm podcasting, I want you to know that I'm thinking of you. And I know that you're trying to get through a very challenging time. I feel it. I absolutely feel it. And that's what this show is for, is for people who are trying to get to a better place. There's lots of struggles in life. And I'm just grateful if I get to be here for you for any part of that. 
So love, love, love when you give me a rate review and subscribe. It gives me great feedback and it tells me that my work is making a difference in your life and and hopefully it's making a difference in the way this way that you engage with your family and other people you love too. So our goal here is really to create that ripple effect that we are not an island. We are interconnected with all other living beings. I'm talking about that being the people and the animals and the whole um, the whole of the world that we are so very connected with. I mean, one of the mind-blowing principles of quantum physics is that you're actually sharing electrons with people who might be thousands of miles from you. That is That has been discovered in um, the burgeoning field of of quantum physics. And it just blows my mind. And it makes me realize how very, very connected we all are. And we connect over the, uh, over the interwebs, don't we? I'm bringing you Dr. Ben Lynch again today. He was in uh, episode 70. I interviewed him when his book, Dirty Jeans came out, it was brand new. And I was very excited to learn more about genetic testing, what are some of the ramifications of it, what should people know. And today I had more questions for him because I'm just hearing the buzz about this, the chatter about this on the Green Smoothie Girl Facebook page and some of our private pages and so many of our followers are saying, I got the ancestry test or one of the other genetic tests and I learned this and this about myself and and they're just um, both Dr. Ben Lynch and I uh, agree on this. They're taking it too far and they're ascribing too much meaning to that. So in today's episode, we're going to try to make sense of what genetic testing is useful for and when we're just using it to fuel our existing anxieties. We have plenty of anxiety and plenty of information in this world. So let's get a little bit more grounded in how we view our genetics with Dr. Ben Lynch. So Dr. Ben Lynch, I'm so pleased to have you back to talk a little bit in more depth about things that our audience asks us and things they seem to be interested in when it comes to genetic tests. And then once you have your genetic tests, what to do with it and what functional medicine practitioners are guiding people with after they get their genetic tests. So first of all, how did your book launch of uh, Dirty Jeans Go. How's how's it being received out there? Well, awesome, Robin. Yeah, first of all, thanks for having me here. And, and uh, folks, I'm, I'm here to answer your questions, and I, I hope I'm going to do a good job for you. And, um, you know, so we're going to get to that. And the Dirty Jeans book launch went uh, really well, uh, better than I anticipated, and, and it continues to be a bestseller on, on Amazon, which is really cool. And, um, you know, it's I've learned with the whole book thing, you know, us authors are, are really keen on, you know, trying to get the, the New York Times bestsellers and all that stuff. And at the end of the day, none of that really matters. What matters is, is the book getting in the hands of the individual. And when I see that Dirty Jeans is a, what I call a perennial bestseller, uh, that excites me way more than just getting a label of a, a bestselling book from New York Times. And uh, I want the reader to be excited and, and be able to utilize the book in their life. And, and since the book is, is a perennial bestseller, that's telling me that people are reading it, getting a lot of good action rule information, applying it to their life and it's working. And then they're telling others about it. So that's, that's what excites me the most. 
Yeah, me too. And I get sent books every single day. I have more books than I can even put in my, my bookshelves. Like I have whole rooms of my house that are lined with bookshelves. I'm sitting in one right now. The entire wall yeah. is covered yeah, with bookshelves. So you- and I, and I can't read them all. And a lot of people are sending them to me, wanting me to endorse them or whatever. And, and, but with yours, I actually purchased it and read it before I interviewed you the first time on episode 70, which would be a great place to start or to go back to after you hear this. Um, and if you're con- curious about genetic tests and what's going to happen with all this, but let's, let's talk about what are you seeing because you keep an ear to the ground better than the rest of us about all the really burgeoning or explosive political issues due to 23andMe being so popular, lots of people are just getting it out of curiosity to find out like where their great, great, great grandparents are from, what their ancestry is, but then they're learning things about their genetics that they're a little bit scared to find out what that has to do with their disease risk and whether their detoxification pathways work and things like that. Um, What are the big uh, issues that you see people really interested in and what are some of your concerns or interests relative to that? It's concerning to me. Uh, I'll just say that. I, I love genetic testing. I love the fact that it's available direct to consumer. I love the fact that doctors and health professionals uh, of all types are, are interested in, in utilizing genetics uh, to help optimize the lives of, of you know, their patients and their clients. Uh, I think that genetic testing is, is uh, going to be a phenomenal tool, and it already is for the select few. The problem is the majority of genetic testing application in clinics uh, or in the consumer's home is met with frustration, uh, confusion, and actually a worsening of problems. Um, and that's because they're, they're utilizing it incorrectly. Uh, or even, even worse, the genetic testing company is giving them information that is making them make quick decisions and it's not the whole picture. So let, let's talk about uh, a couple negatives. First of all, uh, I don't want to be, you know, kind of bad news Ben here, but I, I want to go in straight out of the gate, letting you know that I'm not happy with the fact that 23andMe is reporting uh, the BRCA gene. I think that is a disservice to the public. Uh, I think it's a disservice the way that they're doing it. Um, I'm glad the FDA uh, made them uh, change how they're doing it. And I think, you know, if they are reporting as, as they are the BRCA gene, I think 23andMe is doing a good job in terms of informing the individual that it's not uh, enough information. But if it's not enough information, then why are you reporting it? So the BRCA gene is a, is a gene that kind of is, is, well, is very well known for, you know, if you have the BRCA gene that you have an increased uh, susceptibility to breast cancer. And 23andMe is very clear that, you know, in asking you if you want to see that you have the BRCA gene or not, the gene mutation. And so they ask your permission, which is great. And then if they, if you say yes, they give you some quick instructional videos uh, of what it means and what it may mean and it doesn't mean you're going to have breast cancer and then they also tell you that they're only giving you two breast cancer genetic variants out of the 70 plus that are known to increase the susceptibility to breast cancer so if they're reporting two out of 70 that are known to increase breast cancer risk then what if you don't have the two that they're reporting but you have four others that they're not reporting 
and let's say you have two that they're reporting, but you don't have the others, and then plus you don't have the other genes like MVHFR or COMT or other detoxification genes that also may increase or decrease your risk. So it's a very narrow picture. Genetic testing, a lot of people are looking at genes in isolation, like the BRCA gene for breast cancer risk, but they're not looking at the whole picture. They're not looking at, a, at their lifestyle, their diet, their environment, their mindset, their history, uh, you know, 50 other genes that may increase risk for breast cancer or decrease risk for breast cancer. They just quickly look, they see, or they, if they have these breast cancer genetic variants based upon 23andMe's reporting, and if they do have them, you know, a, a number of individuals get a radical mastectomy and think that's the solution. And uh, I think that is a huge, huge disservice. So in short, I think genetic testing is powerful, but you have to be careful that it's a very limited and narrow scope. It's basically the, uh, you know, a certain type of drill bit in your garage out of a myriad of drill bits and a myriad of other tools. And I equate genetic testing to, you know, if you're going to build a home, it's similar to, uh, you know, what furniture you're going to put in your home. It has nothing to do with where you're going to build the home, what the foundation of your home is, what roofing, you know, you're going to use and, uh, you know, what weather is like in your home, in your environment. Is it a sunny environment? Is it a wet environment? Is it snowy? Um, but yet people are just concerned about the furniture. Okay. So I'm going to see if I understand what your concern is with it. I'm going to like boil it down and see if I'm right here. You're saying that 23andMe gives you, if you want it, um, whether you have any of these BRCA genes and there's over 70 of them, but only two of them. And I think that's BRCA1 and BRCA2. And you can correct me if I'm wrong, are correlated to high cancer of the breast and the ovaries. And so you're concerned that people are told they have a a BRCA variant of some kind, and lots of women will assume, oh my gosh, I'm going to get breast cancer. Let's get a radical mastectomy. Is that the basics of your concern? Yes. Yeah. And they think that the radical mastectomy is the solution. And they go to doctors and the doctors, there's actually surgeons that will do BRCA testing. And the surgeons will utilize the genetic testing to influence their patients to get uh, radical mastectomies or mastectomies or, you know, hysterectomies or overectomies, you know, it's, it's, it's actually, it's very, you have to understand that is there conflict of interest? Is there bias? You know, and, and 23andMe is, you know, they're, they're, are informing you that they're reporting a couple out of a lot of others, but I still think in the heat of the moment, the person is not going to remember the minutia that 23andMe is only reporting a couple out of a lot of them. And they're also not understanding that their lifestyle and their diet and their environment is, is a major issue uh, contributor to that. Even though 23andMe is clear about that, I still think in the heat of the moment, the, the end of the day, the consumer is looking at that report and there is, you know, look, if, if somebody tells you, that you have genes that increase susceptibility to breast cancer and they're both red, that's terrifying. And you're gonna forget everything else that you just read or watched, right? So I, I think you have to be very careful. And I, I do urge people to not even look at that, um, you know, unless you are with a well-versed uh, health professional to help guide you through it and they are looking at other genes. And so 
maybe don't find out about the BRCA1 SNPs because unless you have like a mother and a grandmother who had ovarian and breast cancer and so you feel like you should know. Um, by the way, I'm going to say just a little aside here. I said this when I did the re- the podcast with, I think it was James Maskell, um, and maybe even when I interviewed you in episode 70 the first time, hey, it's only 63% of women who get breast cancer or ovarian cancer who have the BRCA1 and 2 genes. Um, maybe you have different statistics and feel free to share them if not, but that's the research that I've read. And that you might be saying only 63%. That's terrible, Robin. Yes, but I think it's one in six who just of the general population who, if you live long enough, you're going to get breast cancer might even be higher than that. So it definitely increases your risk of breast cancer, but women should know that just because they have a BRCA, uh, genetic uh, variant does not mean they're going to get breast cancer or ovarian cancer. And as we've said in at great length, both you and I, um, on my show and especially on my interview with you, what you're choosing to do in your life can bring that way down. I mean, if you're eating a mostly plant-based diet, you're choosing organics, you're oxygenating, getting exercise, um, you're choosing to manage your stress well, you don't smoke, you don't drink to excess. I mean, you don't have a 63% chance of getting breast cancer. Am I right? Yeah, hundred percent. Right. And it's, 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 uh, Look, and let's say you you do you uncover, you know, you want to find out if you have BRCA1 and 2, and you you check those boxes and you go through those videos and 23andMe shows you and you and you don't have them. But instead you have a slower CMT, you have a faster cytochrome P150, you have a uh, a slower uh, glutathione gene. Um, you're not, and then you have arsenic metabolism genes, and you have, you know, empty uh, Jafar these genes all increase susceptibility to breast cancer. So, and 23andMe doesn't report any of that type of information. So, you know, it's, it's, it's really, really important that you understand that genes don't act in isolation. They act as a system. They act as a team. You know, soccer, you, you watch highlights in soccer and you always see the striker scoring the goal and everybody celebrates, but the ball didn't get to the striker uh, by himself most of the time or by herself. You know, it's a team sport and genetics are a team. And, uh, you know, they're also played on different fields and different environments. And that also influences the game. So you got to understand that genes work together and uh, it's a team sport and you're the coach. You have a lot of very good metaphors. So you you also might have um, people who don't know how to interpret their uh, genetic profile, which is really all of us who might also go, oh, good, I don't have either one of those BRCA genes. I'm good. I'm not going to get breast cancer, which would also be a gross oversimplification for the reasons that you said. So I just like to put a fine point on it and make the, you know, uh, sort of superficial point that I have just noticed in so many conversations with our followers over the years, they really are confused about the very basics of this. Um, I, I got a genetic test, not 23andMe, but when I was in Europe, because my readers know that I go to this Swiss uh, clinic of biological medicine every summer and spend a few weeks there. And it's really the only doctor I have. And she likes to run a bunch of tests on me and tell me how I'm doing. She's only going to see me usually once a year. And I didn't even know she was doing it. She did a a genetic test on me. And uh, it was pages and pages and pages and dozens of um, dozens of things that they tested for. And I think they were doing it 
because of APOE. So I think I'll have you address that. So she just wanted to tell me what she felt um, my genetics say about a propensity for um, dementia, Alzheimer's. You know, I do have a grandfather who uh, was deep in dementia when he died, but he was in his 90s and he had been a chain smoking alcoholic. So to me, it's not not necessarily predictive of my risk. Um, but anyway, there were just dozens of them just under the category of detoxification. And some of them were like, oh, this is this is not good for you. This shows that you have, you know, some struggles with detoxification. But then there are others that were like, oh, you at least you don't have this. That would be bad. And and I had no idea what to make it because of it because there was no clear picture. Um, you want to address that and then talk about the hype over the APOE couple couple different alleles or whatever you call them yeah sure and let's let's start with the apoe and you know it was your grandfather right who lived into his 90s yes and but died after five years of just total dementia in a in a home Mm -hmm. yeah and and like you said you know the 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 alcohol and the smoking didn't didn't help him very much so you talk about dirtying your genes uh that'll do it um but apparently he still had some pretty darn good genes elsewhere in his body and he probably you know, lived in a cleaner environment or did something he loved and surrounded himself with good people and probably ate well to offset a bit of the smoking and alcohol. So, you know, well, and I, I should, I should cut in to say that because I think the story of my grandfather is actually really exciting. He was, uh, my grandmother killed herself when she was 33. And so he's dealing with the mother of his children disappearing when he has three little kids and he got married four more times. And spiraled into alcoholism and, like I said, smoking more than a pack a day. And then my his last wife, who he was married to for some 45 years when he died, um, you know, the wife that he was very compatible with, uh, they quit together in their 50s. So I just do want to say that. I mean, it just totally speaks to cleaning up your genes. Like, you know, when you're in your mid-50s and you have drank yourself to sleep every night, you're like sloppy drunk every night for years and years and years, like my grandfather, and it cost you multiple marriages, uh, plus the smoking, he did. He lived to be in his 90s, but he did quit. So let's just say that, you know, he, there's, there, you can always, you can always turn it around. There's always Mm -hmm. that chance to stop doing the bad things that we're doing that dirty up our genes. So anyways, back to that, you were setting something up. Go ahead. That's important that people hear that. Um, So for the APOE gene, as, as Robin stated, you know, that there's a lot of information online and the research to talk about if you have this genetic variant that you have a increased risk of getting Alzheimer's earlier. It's called the, you know, early onset, basically Uh, you start getting Alzheimer's symptoms possibly in your, you know, late fifties, early sixties versus eighties in nineties. So, you know, I, I ran the APOE, uh, you know, I ran 23andMe and 23andMe reports if you have, APOE uh, or not, and if you want to look into that. And so I did, and I found out that I have increased risk of Alzheimer's, not the most severe, but uh, pretty significant. And I look at my uh, grandmother, um, and she had Alzheimer's, but she was a significant smoker and smoked all the way until her death. Um, And uh, she did get it early. Um, but, uh, you know, she, she actually died of, of lung cancer. Uh, that's what got her, but her dementia was, uh, very early. Um, I think in her, uh, early sixties, she was already having issues, uh, maybe even her late fifties. And so I look at my lifestyle and, 
you know, I'm, I'm very careful about what I do. And then I, I ran it on my other kids. And one of my sons has a very significant risk of Alzheimer's. He's got the APOE 4.4. And I'll tell you, when I found that out, my gut just dropped and I was really scared and really nervous and, and upset. And it felt like a failure as a parent that, you know, I, I, my wife passed on a APOE 4 allele to him and so did I. And, you know, why couldn't he have the APOE 3.3 like my other ones did? And why did he have to get the APOE 4.4 for increased risk and so on? And, and, but then I realized, okay, wait a minute. You know, a few years later, I said, this is actually good information to have. Because now that I know that my, one of my sons has the APOE 4.4, I need to be more proactive and I need to teach him to be more proactive if he ever gets hit in the head or uh, you know, that he needs to really be more mindful of what food he puts in his mouth. He cannot play uh, sports where he can get concussions. It's just not an option. He is really good at football. He played flag football uh, until just last year and he wanted to play tackle. And I was like, no, bud, sorry, you can't do that. Um, now he plays soccer, and I tell him he can't head the ball. I'm not gonna let him do that. Um, and so he, he won't do it. So, and I've already informed him, even at a age of 11 years old, that you know he has this increased risk, and he is confused about it, he is scared about it. Um, but I do it in a way that you know, is informative and empowering to him, and I tell him why, he needs to, you know, be careful of the sugar and go to sleep because sleep is, if, if you uh, read uh, other books about Alzheimer's, you know, you've got the end of Alzheimer's and there's another one, the Alzheimer's antidote, I think it's called. Um, and I forget her name, but she talks about how important sleep is. Sleep is the, the time where your brain actually cleans itself and sleep is extremely important for the brain. So if you have difficulty, if you have genetics that decrease your ability to fall asleep and stay asleep, then your risk for Alzheimer's can increase even if you don't have Alzheimer's because sleep is that important. So if you're laying in bed staring at the ceiling at night and you're a true night owl and you don't have the Alzheimer's gene and you know, you're increasing your risk for Alzheimer's compared to the person who has the Alzheimer's gene and is going to bed on time and getting good solid sleep measured by their aura ring. Yeah, if you ha don't have enough reasons to go to bed on time, maybe that one will motivate you. It's so important. It's so simple. You've heard it a million times. But uh, to me, and, and I've done taught lots of classes on sleep, but to me, like the easiest thing is make sure you go to bed a little bit earlier, you know, like be in bed by 11 p.m. And if you say, no, I can't, I'm a night owl. Well, whatever, train yourself earlier because earlier sleep is worth more than later sleep. And don't drink alcohol uh, within two hours of going to bed and drink some water if you do and things like that. So just get more sleep. So important going to bed late or having sporadic times when you go to bed instead of a regular time is uh, bad for your dementia risk. That's a really great point. So let's... And just to, to hit that real quick, you already feel... So you might not have dementia, but if you go to bed late or you, your schedule is sporadic or you don't sleep well, the next day your brain isn't working so well. You know that, you need more coffee, you need more things to get you focused, you're more irritable, you're more grumpy, your schedule is more, uh, or your, your productivity is erratic. And so it's not dementia, but your brain is already altered in, in terms of uh, function. So just know that if you continue doing that, 
that coffee isn't going to do the trick. That donut's not going to give you the clarity that you need, you know, so, or that you're looking for, and it's definitely not the right way to go about it, but your brain is already impacted. So that is where, you know, your, your sleep is causing dirty genes. And then Alzheimer's is the ultimate of dirty genes in the brain, right? So it's just, it's a degree in which a simple uh, thing, maybe you had a party and you got hungover and then you went to bed. You know, if you do that periodically, no worries, great, have fun. But if it's a, you know, a recurring trend, your, your, your day-to-day performance is gonna go down. And it's, while it's not Alzheimer's or dementia, it's impacting your brain. Yeah, when I go to my Swiss retreats and I get to spend a lot of time with maybe 50 to 100 people every year, I'm always amazed because I live in Utah where very few people drink alcohol. And I'm just really around this, uh, the dominant religion here doesn't drink alcohol at all. And I was raised in that. I'm so amazed at how many people tell me they drink between one to two glasses of wine and an entire bottle of wine every night. And so uh, you know, it's not something I talk about a lot on this show because it's not on my mind that much, but it's um, it's such a such a risk factor. I'm way wor- more worried about how much people drink than I am whether they have the this, you know, genetic allele or that one. So exactly, which is why you know I I, I started it saying that you know genetic testing is fantastic, but it's just one tool in the tool shed where the basics of, of going to bed and, and not drinking a whole bottle of wine every night is, is more important. And, and you all know that it's not rocket science, but you, you know, you want to get genetic testing because you want to increase, see your susceptibilities, which I totally understand and appreciate, you know, but at the end of the day, under looking at your genetics is not uh, the antidote to putting in the work and doing the basics looking at your genetics is showing your increased susceptibilities to certain things. And you might have to be more proactive in certain areas of your life. Like maybe you can't uh, tolerate red wine or eating cheese and wine tasting your whole life. Well, not your whole life, but your, your adult drinking life, you've never enabled it to do that. And it, once you find out that you have histamine related genes or your histamine pathways dirty, you're like, Oh wow, that really explains a lot of things you know, that, that's awesome. But you know, the, the basics and fundamentals are so, so important. And a lot of people are using genetic testing to try to find the reason why they're sick. And most often that is not the case. And it's putting, it's pointing you down the wrong road. You know, life is about making choices. And, and if you're using genetic tests to make a choice versus looking at your lifestyle to make the next choice to improve your health, I would say nine turns out of 10, you're going to be on the wrong turn. Very well put. What do, what do you see out there that functional medicine doctors are doing with genetic testing? So they have you get a test, you it, the results come in and they counsel you and they tell you to do what that you are concerned about. They're telling you to take these supplements or, or to take these drugs or, you know, to do this. And they look at the next gene and they tell you to take a different supplement or to uh, take this medication based upon the next gene and they look at another gene and they say, okay, well, we got the supplement for this gene. And, you know, and by the end of the report, now you've got 15 different supplements to fix those, you know, 30 different genetic variations that they found on the report. And they tell you, it's like, look, you don't have to take these every day, but you know, you're genetically susceptible to, uh, you know, not having enough folate. So I want you to take this type of folate, uh, you know, probably every day. Um, this one, you've got detoxification issues. So you need to take this probably every day. 
And then you might have difficulty falling asleep. So we're giving you this uh, supplement for sleep. But, uh, you know, you don't take this one every day, but, you know, you might need it and, um, you know, and, and so on. And, and it's, you know, here's your, your vitamin D genes and you need to take more vitamin D than you are now. And you take this every day, take 20,000 units every day. And, uh, you know, this MT Jafar, you've got that. And you've got this more significant one, your homozygous for 677. And that means your, your MTGFR gene is slowed down by about 80%. So, you know, based upon that information, I want you taking seven milligrams of methylfolate every day. Um, you know, I had a, a patient yesterday, um, this is a doctor speaking, not me, um, who had a less in, uh, intense MTGFR. She had only one 677. So I only told her to take two milligrams of methylfolate every day. So they're basically prescribing supplements based upon the findings of the genetic report without even asking your history, really, without looking at lab, laboratory testing, without looking at your diet thoroughly. And all doctors of, and all practitioners of all types are guilty of this, uh, including myself when I first started. Uh, when, I had, when I first started looking at genetics, first one I ever looked at was MCFR back in 2011. And yeah, you know, the client that I worked with had MTGFR and I told them to take methylfolate and some got better and another one had the same genetic variant and they got worse and another individual had the same genetic variant and they had no impact. And then I quickly realized that, you know, MTGFR increases susceptibility of not making the body's number one form of folate. But if they're eating enough leafy greens, if they're eating liver, if they're not drinking, if they're not smoking, if they're eating sufficient protein, you know, other genes to look at, you know, it's not about just one gene or X, Y, and cheese gene. You, so most doctors, most practitioners are looking at genetic reports and prescribing based upon the genetic report. That is wrong. And there are many genetic reports out there that say, if you have this genetic variant, you have increased need for vitamin B2. Wrong. That is not necessarily the case because you might already be getting sufficient B2 in your life and you may not be pushing that gene very hard. So it doesn't, you don't need more B2. Look, it's, genes have jobs to do. And if, if you're not working that gene very hard, then you don't need to take more of that nutrient. And you know, it's it just, it's that simple. So let me give you an example. Uh, a buddy of mine, uh, does not have MTGFR, um, and but he was drinking quite a bit of alcohol, and this is when I first got started into it, uh, actually even before it, and he says, you know, Ben, I, I'm drinking, you know, quite a bit of beer these days, and I've noticed that if I take some B vitamins, I can I can drink and I don't get hungover, and I said, yeah, it's because you're, you're processing the alcohol and the aldehydes better, and uh, I said, if you add a couple other things, uh, you'll be able to drink and, you know, get hungover, or enjoy the buzz, but you're not going to get hung over. And so I actually increased his alcohol intake by supporting his decreased ability, um, decreased hangovers. So he then able to, was able to enjoy alcohol and it was great. And I said, well, it's still a mitochondrial toxin, buddy. You're still hurting yourself. And he goes, oh, and it took about a year, maybe two years for him to sink in because he would still was tired and, and not hung over, but his performance was going down. He didn't like it. His moods weren't as good. And so he started taking methylfolate because I learned about MTFR and methylfolate. So he started taking that and it was great. And he started reducing his alcohol intake even more, but he kept taking the methylfolate. So now his alcohol intake went down, 
and he was still on the methylfolate. And now he went from being good on the methylfolate to being getting auditory hallucinations and becoming irritable and cranky. And I was like, well, dude, you're not drinking so much alcohol anymore. In fact, you stopped, right? And he goes, yeah. I said, we well, don't need that much methylfolate anymore because your MP4 gene isn't working so hard as, it's, as it needed to. So you don't need as much methylfolate. So in fact, I just stopped taking the methylfolate. And he goes, well, really? But it helped me so much before. I said, yeah, but look how much you were drinking before. Now you're not doing that anymore. So stop the methylfolate. He did. And all the side effects went away. Interesting. So, you know, I'm not just concerned about the fact that right out of the gate, as soon as we had these genetic tests that functional medicine doctors probably really, because they want to help and they didn't know what to do with it yet, because it's also very new, did this little plug and play thing where it's like, if you have this genetic SNP, take this supplement. If you have this one, take that supplement. And now I see a lot of them, probably because they've read your book and because they've noticed the same kind of results you did where somebody gets better and somebody doesn't. And they're saying, well, the results aren't really, you know, knocking me out here. Um, they seem to be getting wiser. There's a lot more talk out there about, hey, that's not really a useful approach. I'm not just worried about the fact that it's such a tempting marketing play to, uh, like you were talking about surgeons using the BRCA1 test to sell more radical mastectomies to women who don't have cancer, like like Angelina Jolie so famously did. But I'm, I'm also concerned, besides the fact that it's just such a tempting marketing play to be a functional medicine doctor and say, let me get a genetic test and let me sell you this suite of supplements, which I happen to profit by. I'm, I'm not just worried about that. I'm also just worried about the fact that it's not even all the functional medicine doctor's fault or the newness of, you know, genetic information and how to use it to help patients. I'm also just concerned about the fact that it's like, we're all so trained in the last couple of generations in the medical approach that even people who are pretty holistic leaning really want to hear a, I have this, therefore I need to take this supplement. I mean, it's just like a slight variation on the drug approach. I have this disease. I take this drug. Now I see so many functional medicine doctors saying you have this disease, therefore take this supplement. It's not all that different. It just has less toxicity. I mean, are you seeing the same thing? Yeah, it's, 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 it's you know, and I, I used to practice that way myself and, and I used to, uh, you know, if a patient came in and they had headaches and, you know, I would look for the cause, but I'd also give them a supplement for the headaches and, and, uh, you know, I've learned that most of the time, the more the individual changes the, the basics in their life, the less supplements they need. In fact, they do better on less supplements. And, uh, you know, Robin, let's, let's add the fact that supplement companies are utilizing genetics in their uh, business to promote the sale of supplements. And that's happening a lot. And, you know, big name companies, I'm not going to name names. I don't do that. Um, but you know, and many doctors trust these, you know, physician based supplement companies to give them trusted supplements and they're, they're decent formulas. They take the patient's 23 and me data, they run it through, it's free and they get a report and it tells them what supplements to buy based upon the genetic report. And it's a plug and play method for the doctor. And when I worked as a, a supplement rep, for biogenesis nutraceuticals way back in the day when I was a med student, uh, I remember walking around conferences, going from supplement company to supplement company, learning about different supplements. Every supplement company 
uh, had a booklet about here's leaky gut, here's what you do, this is what you take for leaky gut, here's sleep issues, here's anxiety, this is one of these supplements you take for that. So doctors want the plug and play method just like the patients want the plug and play method. And so these supplement companies are making a fortune doing it. My supplement company will never do this and we do not do this. And so it is a huge, huge conflict of interest because where there's confusion, there's fear. And where there's fear, there's impulsive impulsivity. And where there's impulsive actions, uh, people will spend money um, without thinking. And uh, it, it seems easier, but it, it leads down the wrong, unsuccessful pathway. But you're right. We all want that linear relationship. And somebody explained it to me really well, Robin, which makes sense to me. The more you think, the more calories you burn. The more calories you burn, the more you need to go out and forage for more calories. So actually, the easier something is, the more increased survivability you have in life to uh, survive and thrive. That's back in the day. So the more time you spent pondering something, the more calories you burnt, the more time it took, you're probably not going to live. Uh, you know, so you need to make a quick decision and go with it. Um, you know, but nowadays we have refrigerators right next to us. We have snacks on our desk and we have cars or we have Uber Eats that deliver food right to you. So you can think all you want and you're not going to die. But the reptilian brain in us wants the easy answer because we are still utilizing that ancestral brain aspect and we want everything easy because that's how we survive for so long and uh i i think that is a big big component of why people keep looking for easy answers and when they read dirty genes and i'm i'm informing them that the basics are so so important they look god this is so much work but yeah it is lifestyle healthy lifestyle and environment is a lot of work it took me two years to remodel my home to make it super clean and uh, and healthy, but it's worth it in the long run for me. It is. It's where I'm willing to spend my dollars. I'd rather spend less dollars on vacations and fancy car, whatever, um, and more dollars like having wool carpet in my house and um, and other things that bring my toxic burden down because most people are drowning in it. And and again, just like I'm more concerned about how much people are drinking alcohol. I'm also more interested in what kind of toxicity they have coming in, regardless of what their genes are, than I, than I am if they have this specific or that specific gene. Cause I think we're, you know, we're just on like minute one on the long historical, um, spectrum of what we're going to find out about genetics. And, um, so I'm just liking to keep an ear to the ground and you're my go-to guy because, Everybody's dabbling in it, but you've really specialized in it. So that's why I love asking you these questions. So for the average person, I mean, some for a lot of people, it's a parlor trick and something to talk about at the party. One of my cousins came to me and said, I don't know if it came from my dad or my mom, but we have one of our great grandparents, great, great grandparents is African-American. And, and I'm like, well, you have darker skin than me. So that's probably came from your dad. And I'm not related to your dad. I'm only related to your mom. So like all that kind of, you know, like entertaining stuff that's coming from people going out there on 23andMe and then going to all their cousins and saying, guess what I found out? We have relatives in Finland, even though we thought we were Native Americans. <laughs> and so um, what what do you recommend to the average person? So they steer clear of the fear stuff. Should everybody get 23andMe? Should they get a different test? Should they get no test and just 
you know, eat a healthy diet and live a clean lifestyle? Or what do you recommend to just an average person out there? And if you think there's specific conditions or people in specific circumstances who could, who should definitely get it, then tell us about that too. Yeah. It's, it's about who's around you and what resources do you have? Um, you know, cause genetic testing while itself is, is so affordable these days, I think it was only $49 for ancestry on Amazon uh, prime day, which is, which is amazing. Um, so it's not expense of the test is not the barrier. The understanding and the application is the barrier. So if you have a, a great health professional around you to help guide you, great. If you want to take the time to read, uh, excuse me, if you want to dedicate the time to read dirty genes and watch videos of mine on YouTube and, and Facebook and read articles and, and, you know, spend hours learning, then by all means get some genetic testing done and, and start uncovering things. And it's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, if you're the individual who uh, gets nervous and anxious very quickly, and if you find out you have a genetic variant, it's going to scare the hell out of you and you're going to make a, a quick rash decision and because you want to try to fix that thing, then I recommend not doing it because what's going to happen is you're going to do genetic testing. It's going to increase your anxiety. Stress is a huge issue and it, it dirties all of your genes and your reactivity is going to make you do uh, make a, a, a decision that is not right in the, in the short term or long term. It's going to increase more expense, which is more of an anxiety. So it becomes a perpetual angst. Um, so I, I don't recommend it. So, you know, it's, and 23andMe's testing, you know, you can order 23andMe or Ancestry. I, I actually recommend ordering Ancestry these days um, because if you order Ancestry and you take the raw data and you import it into uh, my genetic report of Stratagene, you get a lot of information, which you look at as like, wow, this doesn't really tell me anything. It's not very actionable. Um, yeah, it shows me susceptibilities and, you know, dirtier pathways. Uh, I don't really know what to do with this. Some people will look at that and, and become completely overwhelmed and frustrated. Other people will look at their strategy and report and they'll dive in and watch videos and, and listen to my Facebook lives. So I think it, it depends on, on who you are. And there's no right or wrong answer here. It's just what suits you the best. For me, genetic testing answered a huge amount of questions and very, very useful, and I'm very glad I've done it. I'm very happy that I know that my youngest has ApoE44 because I can teach him at an early age um, and help protect him so he doesn't dirty his ApoE44 even more and you know, make sure I protect him in, in various other ways. I'm very glad that I know that I have anti-Shafar and that I know I, uh, you know, that I need to uh, do certain things in my life. And I, I'm also glad to know that why I'm my whole life I've been susceptible to various uh, high histamine containing things and you know having answers uh, and able to to go with that and I can quickly look um, at how people are interacting and I can quickly understand which genes they might be born with or how their genes are acting for example uh, there's a there's a couple here um, with us with a son and she told me that he has a, a slower COMT gene, and which means his catecholamines stay high in his brain, means his norepinephrine and dopamine stay higher in his brain, which has benefits. It allows him to focus longer, and, and uh, that which is great. But he's in, he learns really well. Um, but when he becomes anxious, he uh, starts getting ADD, and he, his test anxiety skyrockets, and he does really poor on testing. 
And I said, well, yeah, because he has ADHD based upon anxiety. And they're like, wow, that's, that's really interesting because when I see uh, his genetics and he has high levels of dopamine that when he's stressed out, he can't focus anymore because he's focused on his anxiety. So I think that is really, really important to see that that can happen. And when you understand how genetics can influence that, it's, it's awesome. Well, that seems like really good advice. And for those who want to go deeper with genetics, do you do personal consults where they can get their test and get on a Skype call with you and pay you to review them? Or do they need to read your book? Or where can people find out more from you? What do you recommend there? The book, hands down. You know, the book on Amazon is about $19. And it's shipped to your house in the US in a couple days. Or you can go to the library, you know, a whole ton of libraries across the nation and across the world uh, are carrying it in different languages as well. Um, so I really recommend that you read the book. And, and look, this is not a Harry Potter book that you sit down and start a fire, or sit on the beach and, and read cover to cover. You can do those things, but it's not a cover to cover book that you read. It's, it's a, you read the book uh, sections and, and you read something and like, oh, wow, that sounds like me. And that really sounds like me right here. And it's like, you know, this may, can really dirty that gene or it can really uh, clean that gene up. And if you have these symptoms, let's say that you find out that you have a, a dirty CMT that's acting slowly and you're more irritable, uh, you're cranky, your PMS is really flaring right now um, you're, and you can't fall asleep at night and you're, you have uh, estrogen-based cancers in your, in your family lineage, um, and you're like, wow, yep, I'm definitely slow COMT and I'm going to start taking some actions. What do I need to do here? And it's like, oh yeah, Dr. Lynch says that, uh, I, if I eat less protein at night, uh, that could help and magnesium could help. Um, and, uh, I need to take vacations. I need to, you know, jump in the sauna. I need to avoid things in my life that really stress me out. So, you know, I'm taking on too much at work because I'm the go-to person because my focus and productivity is I'm type A. So give it to me. I can handle it. And lately your, your, your boss or your own boss, uh, you're your own boss and you're like, okay, I can, I can take on the world here, but you realize that you're a slow COMT and you have to under identify that. Yeah, I'm type A. I got to schedule a vacation here. I got to go to the Swiss Alps. I got to schedule what Robin's talking about for one to three weeks and I got to go because that is the best thing that I can do for my slower CMT. I schedule all these work activities, but at the end of the day, what's most important in my life is to schedule vacations months in advance because I am genetically programmed to be a type A person. And in order for me to maintain my type A and high productivity, I need to take that three week vacation, you know, once or twice a year to keep going. Otherwise I will uh, start getting insomnia and uh, become irritable, my PMS will flare, and I will get myself set up for estrogen-based cancers. That explains my whole life. I just got that from the book, and that makes me feel okay that I understand that I'm a type A person, that I'm go-to, and that PMS is, you know, is explainable. I'm not just a, a, a raging jerk during these months. It is an actual problem, and I'm genetically susceptible to it. And even though I'm type A, I know I'm smart enough now to understand that I need to take a vacation and you are okay with that. 
because you've learned that it's important to take vacations. Whereas you learn from your mom or your dad or your brother or someone else that you got to grind, 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 grind. You got to go, 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 go. And now you're learning that you actually can't do that. And I can't tell you, Robin, how many times people have found out that they're a slow CMT and the best thing that they've ever done was schedule vacations and go on vacation and, or, or move out of the busy bustling city into the country and uh, slow their life down. And most of their symptoms have gone away. Yeah. I learned a lot from your book about that. And that hit me hard too um, in the section there. If you read the book, you'll understand what he's talking about. And it's just one example of many different um, genetic anomalies, the slow COMT, you'll understand what that is if you read the book. And, and, you know, uh, Dr. Lynch goes through plenty of examples from his own life of how his own genetics have clued him into why am I this way? And you're really honest and vulnerable in saying, yeah, I was this type A per am uh, have a tendency to have this uh, driver personality, this type A personality, and how you realize that there's a genetic component to why you feel like you're, um, you know, rage meter goes off the chart really quickly. And, and now you make lifestyle and diet adjustments to, uh, to minimize that and to make it better. And so that's a lot of what I got out of it. Um, I'm so grateful for you getting back on the show to answer more questions because this is such a hot topic right now. The book is dirty jeans and it's G E N E S as in jeans genetics not the blue jeans that you throw in the dryer, but that is actually, or the washer, which is actually the metaphor of the book, which is the clever title. So, so happy to have you back on the show. I'm so pleased to hear that your book is getting great traction. And so thank you so much for being on the Vibe Show again, Dr. Ben Lynch. My pleasure, Robin. And, and thanks for helping me out, get the message out there. And, and uh, I look forward to getting the Swiss Alps and checking out your clinic sometime out there. 